Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I sit down with someone who works behind the scenes with Glenn Beck. My co-worker, Michaela Hedrick, tells us her story next. But first, I want to take you back to episode 88 of At The Mic. My guest was Dave Matthews, who founded American Pride Roasters Coffee. In that episode, number 88, Dave tells us about the origins of the Doc Thompson Bacon Blast Blend from APR Coffee. Dave fulfilled a promise to Doc by making the unique, salty, and smoky flavor brew that had the memorable taste of bacon. Dave fulfilled a promise to our late friend Doc Thompson by making that unique, salty, and smoky flavor brew that had that memorable taste of bacon in it. <laughs> Good morning. Oh my goodness, that flavor isn't the coffee for everyone, but there's also a chocolate version of that Doc Thompson Bacon Blast as well. You can give it a try today, along with so many other flavorful options, at aprcoffee.com. Use promo code ATM at checkout. That's going to get you 10% off your entire purchase. That's aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Michaela Hedrick has traveled the world, and though she found her calling, that eventually led to another calling. We get to hear the life story of a co-worker of mine who's a big part of the Glenn Beck program, and her story starts right now here on At The Mic. Joined in studio today by my fellow Blaze employee, Michaela Hedrick. Yes, and I'm going okay. for Michaela G. Hedrick. I'm trying to make uh, that a thing with the G. You want to, okay, you want to hang on to that G. Because you were recently married. I'm recently married. So yeah. that's a new last name for you. Hedrick, brand new. It's not my legal last name yet because the IRS is so slow. But yes, <laughs> my maiden name was Getz, which okay. is the G. Okay. And Hedrick's my new last name. Well, that's cool because I think you got married, took a job here, and moved here all within the course of like two hours, right? I got married twice the same person within the course of like two hours so i was living in florida and my now husband and i got married at a courthouse which was the least romantic thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life wow. there was a woman in a yellow polo and oh no she said basically do you want to marry this guy and we thought do we exchange rings like we're gonna are we gonna do it right here somebody's getting their passport done next to us literally <laughs> and she's like yep you just sign here that'll be 20 yeah. bucks and i'll see you later and we're like well that was that was as romantic as we could expect so then then oh, we no. moved to texas uh-huh. we're legally married at this point but our ceremony we moved to texas and like um two months later we did our ceremony back in south carolina wait hold on what, what? but i'm from florida but we met in south carolina where in south carolina we met in myrtle beach south carolina at coastal carolina university so we went to college together they won the uh, College World Series about five or six years ago. Uh, sure. <laughs> I would... Wait, you didn't know this? Wait a minute. <laughs> no, I've got I... a Coastal Carolina uh, no, I, t-shirt. I, I, I knew. I was in the theater department, so oh, I never no went. Yeah, yeah no. I never went to anything. My wife was a theater major. I got it. You yeah, guys I, don't even I've... pay attention to sports. It's really bad. Yeah, I have no idea. But people said we won. But uh, you were there at the university at the um, time? Yeah, I think so when we won baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else you guys won a national title in. Uh, but when so. I was there, we also got teal turf. So our mascot is the Chanticleers, which is the mm-hmm. mythical rooster from Canterbury Tales. Yes, yes. Because we were designed to be a humanities school, basically. Oh, oh wow! I, I don't think that 
sports was expected in the university's future and then we got really good at it and now our football team's apparently really good too they are this is so funny i'm the least educated on this topic but yeah go shans is that what it is the chanticleers yeah i didn't know that was the thing go shans yeah okay mythical roosters i could get into that more but it's just no no no, let's hear south carolina there's the gamecocks yeah so we were like the gamecocks but mythical thus better we broke away from the gamecocks to start the Mm. university i didn't do that but they did it at this restaurant called the chat and chew in this really small town that i just oh turbaville turbaville yeah i called it turdville when i first saw it (laughs) non-ironically i thought where am i going to i'm in the middle of nowhere when i drove for my audition so i was an acting major so you have to audition for the program when i was going up for the audition we were driving through south carolina in the middle of nowhere literally the middle of nowhere it's super beautiful there was a church every three feet at minimum i was counting them at (laughs) the time i was making a video i think there's hundreds and hundreds of churches Uh then we get to turbaville 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 oh they're gonna love this yeah i I know well there's like 10 people in turbaville and one of the places in turbaville is the (laughs) chat and chew which is became the joke that it's the social hub of south carolina oh, the chat and cool, cool. which maybe has like two people at it ever i see i see because we <laughs> we lived in charleston you know, oh charleston five years i love charleston my favorite city in the world although people that are still there warn me that it's not the same but as any place really uh but i just i love south carolina i love the coast there it's just a beautiful corner of the country i loved myrtle beach it was kind of plasticky have you been to myrtle beach long 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 time ago um so it's been a long time Okay. I don't know. Well, did there's you, did a you, lot. Hold on. Hold on. Did you catch that? So when I say a long, 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 <laughs> long time ago, apparently that means it's been a long time. Yeah, I got that translation. <laughs> that was about six longs equals I was one trying, long. As I was answering your question, I was trying to figure out how old was I? Man, I'm not even going to tell you how many years ago that was. Well, long, 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 long sounds like 60, 70, which is not possible. How about, how about 40? 40 years ago, you were a kid. So you probably don't remember anything about Myrtle Beach. So let me tell you, it's... It's as touristy as it can get. There's yeah. the wax museum and medieval times. I say it's plasticky. That's the best way to describe it. But the beach in some areas are gorgeous. So mm. my mother-in-law lives there full time. And where she lives is so peaceful and so relaxing. But if you go down to the boardwalk, it gets a little sketch. iffy. Well, little not sketch. sketchy, just touristy. I just wanted to say the word sketch because my kids, all teenagers, are little trying sketch. to get me to say cool stuff now. So I gotta say sketch. And is sketch one of the? Is that cool? And and, and sus. Let's say sus. I've tried to use sus non-ironically. I can't do it. Doesn't work. Doesn't no. work for you. Uh, by the way, a complete hole in my story. It wasn't forty years ago. It was in Myrtle Beach. I know it was exactly thirty-five. So thirty-five years ago. You think it's changed a little bit since then? Um, we got to be careful though. How much we praise the Palmetto State because. People are catching on to these beautiful places like South Carolina, Idaho. I contend Montana's the next to go. So we we, sh- we should actually say some bad stuff about South Carolina so it's not ruined. Well, I said it was plasticky. Oh, that's right. That's good. That's good. I think I pulled my weight in that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, my mom. I'm so I'm from Florida, <laughs> and my mom used to say that she wanted to stand at the border to Florida and vet people as they come in to yeah. see whether or not they can come. Because everybody... Well, I'm so biased. I thought everybody wants to live in Florida because it's a beautiful state. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the Space Coast area yeah. near the beach. And yeah, I... You could see the rocket launches, right? Yeah, dude. How cool. It was 
I didn't know how cool that was actually until I yeah. went to college and I was like, oh yeah, I saw the rockets launch once a week. So my dad works at the space center and I have other family and friends that work at the space center. And we used to watch the launches and I used to go to space camp every summer. Oh no. And every year we would go to space camp. Well, not every year. I guess this was just in middle school, depending on your grades, yeah. you would get assigned a position in space camp. Nice. And I was the captain because I had straight A's. And, oh. and that meant that I had one job all one of job. space camp. We had this whole week that we would be preparing. We'd be doing fake experiments and we'd be writing the simulators and you would learn your position. There was everyone from flight control to the flight team to people on the ground who were even in the media. I think you had every position. Wow. And as the captain, all I really had to do was ride on the simulators, which was awesome and land. That's the captain's job. And I organized other things, but really in seventh grade, it wasn't a big deal. But I was supposed to land the simulator. This was my job. I completely failed. <laughs> we, had, we made our whole mission and then I crashed the simulator on the <laughs> landing. I just didn't know how to Did do it. Did everyone hate you then? I don't really remember. <laughs> what is a media kid going to do during this? I don't know. I don't stand there and Those are the kids with low grades, I guess. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, and, that's and true because we both work we're in media. Both in media now. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about uh, what I'm pretty sure was a circuitous route for you um, to the blaze, uh, I guess. Really, nobody in this building, nobody takes a direct path. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's path is unique. So I guess I should reel myself in on that. So you went to Coastal Carolina University. You got your degree in acting. But talk about the stops you made cuz I don't know how old how old are you? 26. 26. Okay. So you've been out of school for a few years. Um but you've done a lot of stuff before you ended up here at the Blaze with Glenn Beck. I want to know let's let's go through some of the stuff you've done and then you got to tell us how you ended up with Glenn here recently. Uh, so obviously with an acting degree, you've been an actress, an acting coach. Um, I mean, do you miss theater stuff? I don't feel this is that different as far as what I got into theater for. Well, when I was little, I went to see a production of, I believe it was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at my community theater. Mm -hmm. And I was dressed up in a dress my mom made. It was a red velvet gown oh cool it was so pretty and i remember watching the show and i was so enamored by the people on stage i just fell in love it's uh -huh. the story of every theater kid and i thought what are they doing i want to do that huh. and when i look back i think it's the storytelling aspect that really stuck out to me i had storytellers all in my life my grandma used to recreate do you know the book watership down with the bunnies <laughs> okay so this was brought up on a previous Watership Down was brought up? Yeah. How random. But I said I've got to read that and I still haven't. Shame on me. Okay, well, my grandma used to basically make spinoff episodes, fan fiction of Watership Down, and tell it to us off rip. She would just make it up at night in bed to me and my cousins and we would be the bunnies. <laughs> these are, And these stories were incredible. I could still tell you some of them, but they contextually probably lack if it's not from your grandma. And your right. bed. But <laughs> it was... It was incredible. So I think what really drew me into theater was the aspect of telling stories, which I don't feel is very different from what I'm doing now. I don't feel day to day that I'm too departed, except for the fact that here I can't. In theater world, I can sit on the floor and stretch pants and be a little bit more of a hippie. And here it's a little bit more professional. I have to sit in chairs. And I know. It sucks, right? No, it's just different. <laughs> 
It's just uh, different. It's so just it, a different environment. Well, before we continue, explain what you do here for Glenn. I'm a place. writer. Mm-hmm. So I write for Glenn. I mostly am writing for radio right now. I'm being trained on television, but that's a whole new beast. Mm. And Because you pitch, have to mix in visual elements and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not used to that. So I mostly am writing for radio. I focus on storytelling, mm-hmm. American history, and they call me the good news girl. So I'm supposed to be the part of the brain, the collective brain that focuses on hope. And I think that's partially because I'm the youngest writer on the team right now. So I have this hope for the future. And I'm, I am in general, very optimistic about the future, which I feel is perhaps novel on the team at this moment because they've been working in news for so long. And I can see how that could be very grinding on somebody's spirit. But I feel hopeful. And that's supposed to be, I think that's my my job on the team. This podcast that we're talking on at the mic exists because I had to have an outlet where I could talk with people and it not be about the insanity of the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Because I do that, my day job, if people aren't familiar, Pat Gray Unleashed, which is uh, on, it's the show on, before Glenn Beck, on the Blaze Network. And uh, I will say that it is absolutely, that's that's the best word. that You just used the perfect word, grinding. It is uh, the world and this business in general. You're forced to be immersed in a very, very toxic world. And so, good luck. I hope you can keep that uh, that positivity. But, but Hopefully. My, my money is not... Uh, Oh, that is so (laughs) strange. That's been said to me multiple times. Oh, wow. It's almost like a challenge at this point. Sure. And I hope that you uh, succeed and overcome the stresses uh, of having to not only talk about this world, but, you know, write about it uh, Mm -hmm. as well. And and good luck staying the good news girl. Well, I'm not only the good news girl. I think that's, Mm -hmm. I I like that title because it's a good thing to live up to, the hopeful girl. But I am also writing on other topics, but is because good news is hard to find. We don't prioritize it. So, but it is there. And it might just be more about perspective, even than specific stories. I have a, so I'm a, I'm a believer. So I have a faith-based perspective. And so I have a general sense of, I think good wins in the end. Uh And at minimum that colors the way that I see things. Because I believe in the end, we win. So that's good that that you have this, basically this expectation, I guess, right? That, hey, you're going to bring us some good news. That's really great. But you've been in it. I mean, you you worked in politics. You worked at the the state capitol of Florida. Is that right? Yeah, really briefly. That was my COVID career. So this is a good segue into kind Uh of the path I took. Yeah, I need to know. Walk us through. So I major in acting. (laughs) Right. And... My senior year, I go to New York City. This is a rite of passage for acting majors. You go to New York City, you audition for casting agents. You know mm-hmm. this, you're nodding your head like this. Yeah, you know right, this. right. I, I'm, I'm going to say. So I went to, to New York and I had always had Broadway signs in my room and thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be part of this scene. That was my culture, my community. And I got there and I didn't like it. I didn't really like the people. I didn't like the experience. And that sounds more trivial than it was. I mean, I had a casting agent who... I went in to do an audition and anyway, it didn't go well. And it wasn't on my end. It was, they had expectations of me that defied my morality. 
there was a way of life that I wanted to follow. And as a young woman going mm-hmm. into theater, there was expectations of you that I felt were improper for the way that I wanted to live my life. It's and completely understandable. And I walked out on this agent who was offering me something and that right. got me in big trouble. It was a wild. I said, this doesn't align with me. I don't feel like this person will treat me the way I feel that I would like to be treated. And, and I had to walk away from it. Mm. And I had a few experiences like that, that I felt like if I pursued the New York thing, the Broadway thing, it would compromise my morality. And I'm not saying everyone who does is compromised morally. It's just we all have different standards and different ways we navigate the world. And I knew that based on the track that I was being shown, the future I was seeing mm-hmm. in New York, that that wasn't for me. So immediately, me and a few other people decided, what can we do with arts that has a real world impact doesn't feel quite as frivolous like broadway mm-hmm. feels a bit frivolous to me sometimes some really good stories are impactful but some are stupid and that's just <laughs> the facts yeah but i wanted to do something so my now best friend and i and another good friend got together and we wanted to produce a one-woman show about a female fighter pilot and we wanted to do it for the military community oh wow so she was from a military family i was really curious about that community and how I could be of assistance. We ended up touring near military bases and working oh. with the VA, actually. Oh, very cool. And the show was about, I played as a one-woman show. It was right out of college. And I played this female fighter pilot who's reassigned to flying drones, RPAs. And it was right at the beginning of when that program was expanding. And it was about what would be the mental health impacts of having to work, shift work in the military. For example, you go to work for nine hours and you're potentially taking out targets all day in a little box like a video game but they're real people Mm -hmm. then you have to go home to your kids immediately that night with no separation there's no way to clap off the game and you've been spending the day blowing up human beings right And, and there's yeah and normally you could go back with a there's some camaraderie there's some people that you could talk to blow off steam with Mm -hmm. but for these pilots that are now flying RPAs, drones, remotely piloted aircrafts. They don't have that. And we were working with counselors right at the beginning to say, wow. what are the gaps? What are the options for people who are experiencing this? So we worked with counselors who spo- specialize in post-traumatic stress. And after every show, I would be on the stage with a real counselor and we would talk with veterans and dependents about if my character had been a real person, what would the options be? Mm-hmm. And that was fabulous. So I so enjoyed that. And I stayed in the military community. I worked with, we did a tour with military, it was active duty veterans independents, and they would tell their stories from deployment and we would work with them to write it and they would perform it with us. Oh, so wow. it was more like spoken word. Oh, cool. Then there wasn't costumes. There wasn't big light changes. We would go to universities and we would perform this. And then afterwards we'd have a talk back. So that way people could understand the veterans on campus, what their experience was and try to relate it to what everyone else is feeling. I mean, it was, it was exactly what I thought I wanted to be doing. And it was what I was supposed to be doing at the time, I believe. And I was telling these stories, working with the military community. And then I ended up actually going back and doing a show, working with astronauts, one of the coolest things ever in Florida. And we (laughs) had this, at this point, we had just been this ragtag group of kids just doing shows. And suddenly we were taking in money and we're like, Oh crap. Like, (laughs) What are we going to do? Like, we, because theater costs some money, but not a lot. We were doing a one woman show. We figured out we were just taking in enough to fund our shows. And like, we're like, okay, well, this is a, are we going to jump into this? So we formed a company and a nonprofit called Boots on the Ground Theater. Oh, cool. And we started performing 
and doing these shows on tour and we were a small ragtag group of we used to joke that we were at this Spoleto theater festival it's this theater festival in charleston i was about to you say know it? when you said the word my brain went wait 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 charleston yes, yes. okay so in charleston <laughs> we we were accepted into the festival in charleston and we joked that when we showed up that all of the people who had accepted the show were looking around like where are your parents <laughs> who are these kids and we were just we were just doing it we were just kind of manifesting that's kind of a young millennial world word to say but that's how i felt about it (laughs) there you go so we were just kind of making it happen and then that led me skip 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 (laughs) to i we had finished our tour with the military community i wasn't sure what i wanted to do next and my boyfriend who's now my husband was going to study in italy for a year and so i thought well maybe i could do something abroad that'd be nice and i didn't know what (laughs) and i thought maybe i'll go to poland maybe there's something uh, I could study in Poland. I I don't know. I have no plan, right? My mom's best friend comes to me and is like, have you ever heard of Ukraine? And I was like, like the country? Like, (laughs) sure. I've heard of the country of Ukraine. And he said, do you know anything about what's going on in Ukraine now or the history or anything? I my So I say, no, (laughs) I don't know anything about this. He gives me a book about the history of Ukraine and my brain explodes i was reading about ukraine under stalin and then under hitler so this country has been through the ringer and and now they're still through the ringer as we know they have been through it and i realized i know nothing about this country and then i saw a statistic about the amount of jewish people there was a leap in the number of jewish people who were immigrating from ukraine to israel Hmm. and i was like why is that this is pure curiosity at this point i want to know why is that? They're making what's called Aliyah, right? In Hebrew, that means to ascend. When you move to Israel, you're making Aliyah. So skip, 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 skip. I decide I'm going to go to Ukraine. Mm. I don't know how I'm going to get there. No idea. But I know I want to make art. This is how vague it is. I think I'm going to make a play about this or <laughs> right? something. I want to study the people, the Jewish people who are immigrating from Ukraine to Israel. I want to know why they're doing it, how they're doing it, how they can afford it. Most of these people, they're parents or grandparents are holocaust survivors or they're a holocaust survivor themselves so it was this miraculous story that i could see in my mind of a two generations ago jewish people had to hide their identity to survive in ukraine that's what they had to do and now if they want to be able to immigrate because say they're under they're in a war like they have been consistently they now jewish people have the opportunity to immigrate to israel do you know anything about that no. So if you can prove you're Jewish three generations back, you can immigrate to Israel. Oh, wow. So now what was potentially going to kill them two generations ago could potentially now save their life. Right. And all of them hid their documents. So they have to go on these crazy goose chases to try to uncover their Jewish documents oh because my. they through the Holocaust, they would sell their documents, burn them. They right. would marry and Christian families would marry with them. So that way they could survive. I mean, everyone was doing what they could to survive. But now they have to uncover three generations worth of documents oh to be able to immigrate potentially while living as refugees. Wow. This is the kind of stories that I wanted to go get. Yeah. So I go to this nonprofit, Ezra International, and I'm like, hey, this is the worst pitch of my life. If <laughs> if if you let me follow your team. Uh-huh. I will make something about it, art of some kind. And they're like, okay. They said yes, which wow. in retrospect, I'm like, that was such a bad idea on your, your part. Just out of the blue. Huh? Just out of the blue. It's like, I'll make a film or something. Like I have this nonprofit. We make art. <laughs> I want to tell these. We tell stories. I want to tell a story. Oh, cool. And I ended up in Ukraine and gosh, this is so long. I'm telling you my whole life story, but. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point of the podcast. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. So. 
I mean, that included skip, 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 skip several times too. So. Well, yeah. So I guess I'm, we all have to skip, 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 exactly. skip, skip in our lives. Exactly. But I ended up in Ukraine. I got a Russian tutor, and about two months later, I was in Ukraine by myself. And wait a minute, though. <laughs> Your husband was in Italy. Yeah, so I didn't quite. They're not in the same neighborhood. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that work out? It was fine. We were just dating at the time. We did long distance. Mm. He was studying in a villa in Italy. It was so bougie, and I was living in a refugee camp in Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Because I was, it was, I was the only American on the team. Oh, okay. I got you. And we would embed. I lived with Ukrainian. My translator, I lived with my translator. I would live with what are called the Olim, which are the people trying to immigrate to Israel, the Jewish people. And I would embed and I would get stories. I would just have a GoPro and my recorder going all the time. That's amazing. And then. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. then I, I, we can stop there for a little while because that's a well, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh that is fascinating. Yes. Eventually, uh, I'll get to how I work for Glenn Beck. Yeah. No, that's right. I forgot. That's how we all started this whole train. Well, let's stay in Europe here for a moment. Are all of your European experiences from this trip? Uh, this yeah, move, but before I guess? that, I because I was looking through your oh, answers, it... you know, and there are a lot of uh, European other travels. Mentions. Yeah. So we will get back to Europe because I have questions. But you eventually head back to the states, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where Glenn. So skip, 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 skip. <laughs> yeah. I'm back in America. That's uh -huh. a lot of skip. We'll have to go back because <laughs> most of my life-changing moments happen at that period of my okay. of my life in Europe. But I skip, 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 skip. I come back. I'm still working with the nonprofit. We moved to Florida, which is where I'm from, but the whole company moves to Florida at this time. We're all living in one house together. You have to imagine that. Mm. And we're grinding. If you've ever worked in nonprofit or the arts, you know that you're poor pretty consistently <laughs> poor and tired right. but we were happy and then the pandemic hit mm. that cut out a lot of our work but at the same time there was a political tension rising and i had felt that i had just i'd been ignoring it because i wanted to be accepted in my community and i had ideas that were polar so the the theater community is monolithically radically to the left mm -hmm. and i'm not right and i knew that would be a problem for me if i felt like speaking my mind but when you're doing the music man and the sound of music it doesn't really come up right sure. but now i'm doing this work that has real world implications and we have a company and we're being propositioned now mm. and i'm finding that the things that are being offered to us like I was when I was a senior in college in New York, we're not in line with who I am morally. Mm. And I was at that point again. And I was, not only were we being propositioned things, I felt that we were producing things that I just couldn't get behind. Mm. And they weren't bad, but they were not fully true. Mm. And that really bothered me. For example, there's a lot of really weak sauce environmental activism in theater where you'll kind of do this play that's generally like about how we're killing the ozone and, and it doesn't really have a point and it's extremely artsy, but it forwards this agenda. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to be part of these kind of weak sauce things. I didn't believe in. Yeah. How were your troop mates, the people you lived with and stuff, are they of the same mind as you or are they? No. Well, okay. so our, our CEO, who's my best friend and my husband, and we're, pretty aligned we have similar morals mm -hmm. we have a similar baseline of course we disagree on some things but we can discuss those things 
And the other company members, I don't think I gave them a chance to discuss because I was so worried of what would happen if people knew what I thought. Mm. And I was a leader in the company too. And I mm. was self-censoring at that level. Oh, wow. And I, and I just felt that there was limits to what I could do and the stories that I could tell. And I was working at a children's theater while we were working with this nonprofit and I was teaching these young girls and boys, but there was young girls and one of them decided she wanted to be a boy. And I didn't know what to do with mm. that as a teacher. And you would see her on a daily basis? Yeah. Okay. I was her teacher. Right. Well, not her school teacher, but her theater teacher, sure, right? I, I saw it. her twice a week. And nobody knew what to do, including me. And I slowly watched it go from one girl who wants to be a boy to two girls who want to be a boy and change their names to three girls who want to be a boy to four girls to five to six girls changing their names. And I didn't know what to do and I did nothing. And when I got out of that experience, I felt that I could not do nothing again. Mm. I could not hold back what I believed to be true and right and good and beautiful anymore. It was like living a double life. Yeah. And it was too too much. And I also think the world we live in now requires people to be honest and truthful and to care enough about each other to say the truth. And I, I was lying to myself saying, oh, I'm, I'm not saying what I think because I want to be nice and care about these people. I was doing it to protect myself. Mm -hmm. That's all that it was about. And I felt... I'll talk about God a lot because I'm a God person. I felt God say like, you have to drop this theater, like that you have to drop this now. And that was my whole identity. It wow. was my whole life. I mean, anyone, if you said Michaela, they said, oh, Michaela does theater. Like Michaela is a theater nonprofit. She wants to do theater. That's her thing. I was the theater girl since I was probably six. Wow. That was my whole life. And I wrote and I blogged. I did some other things that were in that vein, but really it was theater. And I worshiped at the altar of theater in many ways. And mm. God was like, you got to pick one. Like you can't serve both and, and you got to come out. So then what happened once you came to this realization? It was really hard. It was really challenging. I, it was a God thing. I went to our CEO and almost at the exact same time, we both said the same thing. We both said, we can't do this anymore. Mm. And we said it sitting on my porch and I said, what did you just say? And she said, what did you just say? <laughs> and we both were saying, I feel that we have lost ourselves and we have lost our way. Even though we've done so many good things that I'm very proud of, I feel that if we continue in this way, that we will not be proud mm. of who we will become. We will not be proud of the compromises that we have to make in order to succeed in this industry right now. Mm. We won't be proud. And I'm not saying that somebody else couldn't do it, but that was my path for sure. me. And so we dissolved the company. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. We sat everybody down and we said, I'm, I'm sorry, but when I see my life all the way to the end, I don't believe it's the plan that God has for me. And I didn't know what came next. It was a complete void. I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I felt really strongly that God said, drop this. And I said, drop it, but what do I have if it's not this? Which I was so wrong. I have so many things. Life is so much more than what we do. Mm. But I dropped it and I swear, I'm like, well, I have all these ideas that have been kind of pent up in me, political ideas, cultural ideas, social ideas, and I've been saying none of them. So what do I do? I start a podcast, right? Start <laughs> blogging. I'm like, let's just get these ideas out somewhere. Cool. And from there, one day, small podcast, I'm working for the Florida House of Representatives at the time because I thought politics was fascinating and I wanted 
to get involved. So I start working for the Florida House of Representatives. I'm podcasting, I'm blogging, and I get on a radio show. I start doing that. I come out full force with what I believe. I go the exact opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> I go from never discussing it to discussing it incessantly, and it felt awesome. It felt so free, and I was able to really refine my ideas yeah. under fire because I was doing it in public. Mm-hmm. And then I get an email one day, and it says it's from Glenn Beck. <laughs> and I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. What? <laughs> I, so I ignore it. That's the first thing I do. No, seriously, I do. Because I it says this email, and I'm like, this is not real. But looking back, I'm wondering why I would get a prank like that. Right. So my mom had been listening to him since I was a kid. And when I was really little, I had said to her, <laughs> Mom, I was like six. She tells me the story all the time. Mom, I'm going to be on Broadway, and then I'm going to retire and be Glenn Beck. Because I had this idea that I would make all my friends in theater first, and then I would be able to say whatever I want as Glenn Beck. <laughs> That's that was my idea at six, right? So I knew who this guy was, and I'd listened to him a bunch. And I get this email, I ignore it. Finally, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should respond to this. I write him back, and I say, I don't really think this is you. How much time had passed? Since- I'm not sure. Just a couple of days. Okay, okay, cool. And I say, I am not really sure if this is you. Like, is this you? <laughs> <laughs> is this you? Eventually, he had to call and prove it. This is how skeptical I was. Oh, I wow. said, could you call me? I'm kind of feeling like this is some weird, crazy prank. Like, I recently <laughs> became a public conservative, and maybe this is my theater people just trying to like... Right. <laughs> sure. That's what I was afraid of. Anyway, then we communicated, and here I am. Here you are. Yeah. And I- it's all... I don't believe it was me. I believe it was God. Mm. And it was amazing because if I hadn't dropped this company this thing that i felt was my entire identity this life i would never be here i would have never even opened up the opportunity for that so he discovered you through the podcast and my blog yeah okay what was the name of your podcast because you don't do that anymore no i don't something burger podcast oh okay yeah something burger podcast and then i was mentioned that blogging on a site called ricochet just to get my ideas out there Okay, I'm writing this down. Yeah, Something Burger Podcast. Check. I mean, I'd love for you to check it out. Yeah, it's still, it's out, still there. out there. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, that's and I'm proud of it. It was my first attempt to share the most vulnerable ideas I have. All right. That's scary. You know that. You do that for a living. And so what did Glenn <laughs> want you to come do? Then he, he envisioned you writing for him then? I don't know. Oh, he just had you come in here and you figured out when we get here? Um, no, I'm sure he had a plan. I just don't know what it was. <laughs> oh. I'm sure there was a plan. Well, how did you get into writing for him then? Well, I started writing some of my thoughts. It was during the Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And I started writing some of my thoughts about that and emailing it. And he mm. read some of it on the air and then had asked for more of my ideas and more of my thoughts. And I saw that maybe this was building into something ah, okay. at this point. And I was speaking with my husband and I was like, you know, if this becomes something like we might have to move to Texas. <laughs> and he said, I love this man. Immediately he said, <laughs> okay. We'll go to Texas. Very cool. Where were y'all were in Florida? Florida, mm-hmm. Orlando area, not Orlando. I always say we're from Disney, but we're like 30 minutes away from Disney. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. Very cool. So that's this roundabout path of how I ended up here in Texas. And now we live in Texas. All right. I love it. Very cool. Yeah. There's no two days uh, here at the Blaze that are the same. And, and I'm sure that that's been the same in your experience as well. So at least you have the variety every day because yeah. you have no idea what the next There was also more like paperwork and interviews in between those two sections, but it's not as fun in the story. No, no, <laughs> I didn't gather they would be. Uh, <laughs> so that's awesome. a much more strenuous process. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And so let's talk about this because when Glenn's doing a show, you have to be glued to it every day 
between here Central Time, eight and eleven a.m. Central Time, mm-hmm. right? Because you're you're listening to it nonstop, right? Yeah, I am. That's when okay. I go work out, though. That's what I was gonna say. You talk about multitasking. You got Michaela here in the parking lot out there doing her <laughs> jumping jacks or whatever she's doing with her workout routine, and, and, and because you gotta you gotta monitor the show, so why not uh, kill two birds with one stone? Yeah, I used to be a Pilates instructor, fitness instructor, so that's a big part of my life. That's what I did through college. That was uh-huh. what I my job in college. I worked at the gym. Okay, okay. And so it's peaceful for me. It's a way I yeah kick off steam. So you you run around the building and probably right jump rope and yeah I I've, I've when it got colder I had to get a gym membership which oh, is not as no. exciting. But when I first moved here day 1 I I went for a run around the building. It helped <laughs> me get my bearings, helped me. I felt more comfortable, more confident. Uh-huh. Got my there's a park right over here. Endorphins. Yeah, I love that park. There's a I don't know what gym you joined, but there's one literally across the street. What? No, I didn't join that one. No, oh, I joined so. one. I joined an LA Fitness because there's one near my house and one near here, and they're everywhere. Just and better. there's a pool and uh, a hot tub uh, and a sauna. <laughs> wow, I mean, that's not that's not working out though. It's no, but it's sitting there. Awesome. Uh-huh. That's cool. <laughs> All right, very good. Uh, okay, so we skip, skip, skipped through Europe a bit. Yeah, we'll get back to Europe. <laughs> well, don't you worry. We'll get to Europe. Uh, you're currently reading the Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another name that's come up often on this podcast. Um, I mean, what can you say? I mean, that guy, that guy died for his faith. Have you ever read any of Bonhoeffer's work? Um, the book, it's, so. it was, it's arduous. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but the cost of discipleship is fabulous. Yeah. Well, I've not read that. So. It is amazing. Its whole argument is that the German people had a philosophy of cheap grace, which is what led them to the fall to the Nazis which was grace without works Mm -hmm. was also dead. So he was saying that people thought that they could live any way they want and they would be covered by grace, like a cheap blanket and that they wouldn't have to change the way they live, Mm. which is how they fell prey to the Nazi ideology. That sounds like a book worth reading. Well, Bonhoeffer lived the life. He walked the walk. He lived Mm -hmm. the life that he preached. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he, there's a story about him that, when he was executed because of resisting Hitler, actually he tried to assassinate Hitler. He was in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know some of this. Mm -hmm. And when he was going to be executed, before that he was praying with other people, he stopped and he thanked his executioner and prayed because he felt so confident about where he was going and that he was on the right side of things. That's a mindset that like I can't wrap my brain around. He's a hero. Yeah. He's a true hero. That's why I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around how to even get one one hundredth of the guts that man had or the faith that man had, one one thousandth, and I would be blessed with that. So your favorite book that you've read, you've read the Bible. My wife read the Bible from front to back, you know what I mean? Like straight through. Yeah. Is that how you read it? Um, I'm trying. So oh, you're I doing study- it right now. I study the, I've read almost all of it probably throughout my life in different places, but I need to go in order. And I read the Torah every, so the first five books every year, recycling. Mm -hmm. And so I have those books more on lock than the other ones. So now I'm expanding beyond that and trying to read the whole thing in order. I tried listening to the Bible. Oh yeah, doesn't um, what's that actor? Doesn't Morgan Freeman read the Bible? Oh, does he? I bet he does. Yeah, that would be <laughs> worth listening to. Morgan Freeman does the Bible. <laughs> no, I think I got to, uh, I got to Second Kings and got a new phone and just 
stopped the habit or something. Something bad happened. That's uh, such a 2022 statement. Yeah, no kidding. Got to second Kings and <laughs> yeah. I got a new phone. So. Yeah, so my bad. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, got a, I got a question for you. Uh, Google Maps is your favorite app. Duh. Okay, so I think it's my crappy new Motorola phone that uh, I don't know if it's a safety feature with the app or what, but does this happen to you? If you have Google Maps on and you're trying to do something else, it won't even let you type. It's my phone, um, isn't it? I it's my garbage phone that's trying to protect me. Yeah, it's trying to protect you. I don't like that. It makes it more difficult. To text and drive? I didn't say text. I certainly didn't say text. <laughs> I said type. Type and drive. I, actually, actually, no, and it's not, it's not fair to say and drive. Um, it's just if the app is on. Like if the app is running. Oh, really? It My won't phone. let you do anything? Every time I get a phone. Ooh. So, you like Google. I am a Google Maps fan, though. Okay. But that's mostly because I'm directionally well, then, challenged. Yeah, well, then I try Waze. And I love Waze. It overheats my phone. That sucks. Waze is fun because you can get the shields if you get enough points. So, if you tell people. <laughs> I would, When we would go on road trips, uh-huh. I would use my Waze app. It's so stupid. It's to get the shield. What yeah. happens when you get the shield? Nothing. Right, nothing. But if you tell enough people, like, oh, there's a wreck here and there's a cop here, you get points mm. if it's verified. Nice. And then if you do that so much, then you're a ways protector. See, you look get at that. the shield. So let, let me go through my, my challenges here, okay? Google Maps doesn't let me type at all uh, <laughs> if it's running. Uh, ways overheats my phone. And I went and I actually found, I was like, I wonder if there's a MapQuest app. Sure enough, I mean, that's old school, man. Really? Yeah. There is an app, though? Yeah, and it's garbage because you... it. You could print out your MapQuest. I used to. Right. I <laughs> used to do that. I used to do just that. Okay, you and I have been trying to schedule this interview, and our schedules are just different, you know? And You work the morning shift, and I work the night shift, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So we've been trying to coordinate, and uh, you would... I think you were being nice, but you were like, you're too tired? You need to go home and sleep? I was like, well, yes. And then you started telling me about something with a, a sleep something. She said, oh, I just took this quiz like what, two days ago. What kind of sleep? Uh, what was the question you asked me? What, what's your sleep? Uh, Chronotype. What, what is that? What? So it's the latest quiz to know yourself. It's a very millennial thing. Chrono. 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 Okay. Chrono, chronological chrono. Oh, thank you. Okay, so chrono. So I should Google sleep chronotype. Yes, you should. And take a, how many quiz? I don't like it's quizzes. short. It's much shorter than Myers Briggs or Enneagram or anything. I don't even know like what Myers Briggs is. Ask your wife, maybe. <laughs> oh no, uh, I've taken the uh, personality test. What am I? I'm a, like I, the ENFP. Yeah, that's Myers Briggs. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, so you've taken it. Oh, good. Okay. What are you? Do you know? Well, I had it hanging up warning people when I used to have a cubicle, and it would just warn people as they approach me. Do you remember? I'm yeah. an ENFP. No. Uh-uh, no. Actually, I'm an ENFJ now. I've changed. Oh, you can change these? Yeah, um, we change all the time. I was an I... INTJ. INT... I'm just that guessing. Sound, that sounds right. I think you're an INTJ. It was an INT <laughs> something, I think. Is Because what are the other letters at the end? J and P. Uh, I think it was INTJ. Judging and perceiving. Wait. Okay. So what? Okay. If I'm an INTJ, which I th- I'm about 75% Introvert, sure. Introvert. Yep. Wait. Intuitive. I don't remember. Oh, no. I don't know. I'd Hang have on. to look it up. So hold on. Let's do this real quick. Hang on. I'm not like a quiz expert. I just happen to have just taken the chronotype quiz, which divides your sleep into 
four different animal types and it tells you when you're most productive how many hours of sleep you're supposed to be getting when you should be sleeping when oh, you should be eating oh yeah do, do any of those quiz results say should be waking up at 3 a.m because no. that's what i do okay here we go <laughs> i think this is what i think i was intj you were introverted intuitive thinking and judging okay what what, what was yours again the enf J. ENFJ. So you are a extroverted, mm-hmm. intuitive, feeling and judging. Yes. So the only thing happening right now is that we're both judging each other. Yeah, extensively. <laughs> Endlessly, so, relentlessly and ceaselessly. So the the sleeping thing will tell me I don't know if it's real. I don't feel I should be the evangelist for this if I took the quiz 2 <laughs> <Okay>. days ago. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to Europe. Okay. Because you lived in Kiev, Kiev. You lived in KYIV, the capital of Ukraine. <laughs> yes. What year was this? 2018. Okay. And you had a terrifying experience there. What happened? Okay. So I traveled all around Ukraine and it is, it made me very happy to be American. There's wonderful people there, but there's a lot more crime. There's a mm. lot more prostitution this is before russia got there well they were there just in different parts sure but they weren't there in the way they're there now yeah like you're saying Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of corruption gangs Mm -hmm. things like that so i was living alone in kiev k-y-i-v is that is that how they pronounce it there kiev kiev okay i have to say like you have something in your mouth kiev (laughs) Got it. I'm sure someone somewhere is listening to this. Like one of my friends in Ukraine, like, no, Michaela, that's no, not, not even, even close. close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me correcting somebody. They used to always correct me because my accent's terrible. My Russian was horrible. My Ukrainian was worse. <laughs> anyway, so I'm living alone in this apartment in Kiev. And one night I'm making buckwheat is the American word. Do you know buckwheat? Yeah, I'll take you all off track. It's the best food ever. So buckwheat's the seed. I'm making buckwheat. And everyone eats it in Ukraine. It's like the food to eat. And I hear this knock on my door. And there were these men outside kind of yelling in a language I don't really know in Ukrainian. And they were kind of yelling and, and pushing on the door. And I didn't know what to do. I was really worried that they were trying to break in. So I called my mom, who's in America. What's she going to do? Except for have a heart attack, which right. is basically what she did. And then I called my boyfriend, who's in Italy. What's he going to do? Except for have a heart attack, which is basically what he did. Oh, no. And I started pushing stuff up against the door, but absolutely blessed because I had done hot yoga a couple days prior. Okay. And I had met four guys who work for the American embassy. They were from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Hmm. And I called them and I was like, Hey guys, I know we just met. We actually, we had gone out a couple times because we were the only Americans there. So we went right. out to see shows and eat dinner and uh-huh. stuff. And we were buddies. And I was like, guys, I'm worried that these people are trying to break into my apartment. I I, I fear I'm going to die <laughs> if they get in. And these four guys came and got me out. I got to sleep in the American embassy house that night. How long were those guys pushing up against the door like that? I'm not sure. Because of the way I remember it, it could yeah. have been minutes, hours, Terrifying. enough time for me to call my mom, call my boyfriend, and then call these guys. And when they came to pick me up, they were really worried because I was so nervous when I was calling them. But luckily, their job is to take care of Americans overseas. Did the guys eventually go away before they got there? or I don't know if the them? guys... My understanding is that my guys took care of those guys. All right. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> That's and awesome. I don't know. I don't know exactly the details of all of that. Uh-huh. But what I do know is they came and got me. And I felt like they rescued me because I didn't 
I didn't know what I was going to do because I was alone and I was yeah. a woman and I was an American. And, and I think that these people might have known that. Man. I don't know if they knew that I was American, but that I was alone. Sure. But I got to sleep that night in the sauna of the American Embassy House. <laughs> they had a sauna. It's so bougie. If you want to travel to a country that is not as nice as America, maybe a third world country, go uh-huh. live in the Embassy House because it was like they plucked a house out of virginia suburbs <laughs> and put it in ukraine it had a garage it had a sauna it had this full kitchen i got in there i said are you kidding me i had been sleeping in above this church for this couple of days before that and then my apartment was really i didn't even have a bed in that apartment and then i got there and the sauna was so great Wait, tell me the sauna wasn't on um i don't know it was really really cold it was winter in <laughs> yeah, ukraine I gotta, it's colder I than siberia cold if uh, i want to sleep um but i think sauna. no i'm saying it might have been. I don't think I slept with it on, but I definitely had it on at some points. <laughs> okay. I'm always cold. I oh. needed it on. All right. All right. So that Kiev experience that you had, uh, one of the most scared you've ever been. Obviously, uh, you don't like flying. No, I hate flying. I have to stand next to the stewardesses because if I'm standing, I feel I have more of a sense of control. I don't know if it's a fear of heights, a fear of closed spaces, or a fear of not Do being you in control. Do you tell them? Because it feels like post 9-11, that's a no-no. They always let me do it because I say I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, so if a terrorist, a would-be terrorist is listening, uh, just tell the stewardess that you're gonna throw up if you're not allowed to stand up. And... They let me stand, and usually they'll let me stand. At some points, you can't stand by the cabin where the cab captain is but i'll go stand in the back and they'll usually talk to me and i can stand but i'm horrified of flying and it's one of my biggest biggest fears but i have to do it all the time so i do fly but i hate flying i'm thinking about taking one of those courses actually for fear of flying but i do it all the time but it's just every time it you would think that i would get immunized yeah there you go there you go so you lived in dc for a while i did i lived in capitol hill okay for a year that wasn't even my timeline. Oops, I totally skipped that. See, that was in the skip, 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 skip. Ah, right? which, which so, skip, skip? It was so it? I was college, tour, Ukraine, <laughs> D.C., Florida, Texas Okay, with Glenn. So what happened there where somebody was watching you sleep through a window? That sounds terrifying. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm Ugh. like a weird event attractor as a human being. Yeah, I lived in a basement apartment. So uh-huh. in D.C., everyone who can't afford to live above ground lives in somebody else's basement. W-E-A, a weird event attractor. I'm a weird event attractor. <laughs> I really am. Have you ever seen the movie Mulan? Yes. Do you know the grandma with the cricket? Yes. And she has a lucky cricket. Yeah. And she crosses a busy highway with her eyes closed. <laughs> everyone says that's like me. <laughs> because I just always make it to the other end. They have these stories, like you know, me in Ukraine by myself, and they're like, "Okay, well, she's still here." And then I had this guy in D.C. who was crouched down, looking at me sleeping what? multiple nights in a row. But the police came and got him. Thank God, they were great. How they came and know? cleared him out. Wait that a was fine. How did you know that he was there multiple nights in a row? I saw him. And <laughs> did you not do anything the first time? Um, yeah, I've called the police every time. Okay, and they just didn't come out originally. <laughs> no, they came. <laughs> He came back. It was that's what I mean. But I was I got my roommate to prove it. I was because he had said I had a I had a roommate and I told him that it was happening and he's like no like, <laughs> that's not happening and I I went and got him. I said look like look at here he is and he was like oh <gasps> he's seriously there. I said yes he's seriously there. Like there is a man watching me. So I closed my blinds eventually. You think I would have learned that sooner? Wow what. <laughs> That makes you sound like such a ditz, but I just didn't think about it. Oh, I just was God. thinking that. It Did he ha- see that you saw him? Oh yeah, definitely. 
so weird. Okay, that's creeptacular. I love that you've pulled these two stories out of my life. These two, they're so <laughs> weird. So let's uh, uh, skip, skip, back to Europe. Skip, 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 skip. Because I want to know about the biggest turning point in your life. I love how it's written. I had a few years that I wasn't able to eat without getting sick. Now, that's not what I'm laughing at. What I'm finding humorous is God told you to eat a baguette in France. <laughs> did that? Did that cure you? Okay, so... So you were having, what, just issues where you couldn't hold stuff down or what? Yeah, I had a couple of years. I started having food allergies to almost everything. I was allergic to all sugar, <sighs> allergic to gluten, allergic to dairy. Anytime I would eat, I would get pretty sick. I mean, I was hospitalized multiple times mm. for this, and they couldn't figure out what it was. They were worried it was an ulcer. I was working with lots of different doctors, and I was getting blood samples, and I was my blood was behaving like an autoimmune disorder. It was had different... It looked bad. If you looked at my blood under a microscope, it didn't look good. Okay. Right? And they didn't know what it was. And I was very sick. I, mean, I kept losing weight. I was basically living on avocados, eggs, spinach. And I was hungry all the time. Constantly hungry. And this was right after college. Mm. Right before when I was deciding to go to Ukraine. This is what I was experiencing. Mm. And I'd, uh, it was a really hard time in my life. I was just very sick. I didn't know why. It stressed me out. That made the cycle worse, frankly. And doctors couldn't tell me what it was. And I was... So changing your diet wasn't doing the no, trick? No, no. It wasn't working at all. I mean, no, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. It was getting worse. And the window of the foods I could eat was getting smaller and smaller. And that wasn't psychologically good for me either because right. I was afraid of food. Right. And I was way too skinny and unhealthy and starving constantly and so this is around the same time i was deciding i wanted to go to ukraine to study these stories and i was told that would not be a good idea because if i go travel uh, they can't they're the doctors over there sure. what am i going to eat i can't be reading packages in ukrainian and mm. i felt like i needed to go do this anyway i'm that kind of person mm -hmm. and so i beforehand i told you that my husband was living in italy at the time right before going into Ukraine, I flew into Rome and we toured around Europe for a month together. Oh, cool. Amidst this all going on, I'm pretty sick and I'm eating very little. Like there was a day like apples and zucchini. I was so hungry. And one, actually this story is funny now because <laughs> I, it's funny now. So yeah. we were in Rome and I was just starving. Like you can't, I, I hadn't eaten like anything and I was afraid to eat. And we finally went to this place for me to get chicken and we ordered the wrong thing and they gave us just chicken fat. And I was so hungry. I started sobbing. They must have thought I was completely crazy. I was on the streets of Rome. You have to imagine like a movie cinematically. This is like some chick flick movie and this is the funniest scene in the whole movie because I have a thing of chicken fat. I look at it, breakdown, crying, weeping, sobbing in the streets of Rome at night. Wait a minute. Like near the Trevi That's Fountain. a menu item? That, is that like the super I don't know what it was. It was item? horrible. It was it just like terrible. like a trick that they play on Americans. Oh, you ordered the chicken fat. So this is this is the mental oh. state I'm in at this point. Yeah. I went back and I listened to this praise and worship song sitting on my bed and sobbed. I can't believe my husband married me after all of this. <laughs> and I, it continued on in this way. And I was getting stressed and hungry and... We were in France, gorgeous, by the way. I loved France. And so blessed. So these are two contradictions. I'm right. traveling Europe with my boyfriend. Bougie, fabulous, amazing, but I'm simultaneously very sick. Mm. 
those things were happening at the same time. Life's like that, I guess. And the moments were dramatic. I would go from high, high to low, low, high, high, low, low. And I was worried about if I was going to be healthy enough to do what I was doing. And we were in France and there was a breakfast buffet at our hotel. Now, my husband eats like a horse. He just eats everything in sight constantly. And he always has and God willing, always will. And there was a baguette on the breakfast buffet. And I was looking at this baguette. I haven't eaten bread in six years at this point. I'm looking at this baguette. (laughs) (laughs) It's the magic baguette. (laughs) I'm looking at this baguette and I hear, I'm not one of these people that thinks that like God says things to me, but I swear I get this idea and I think it's from God and it says, eat the baguette. And I'm like, I can't eat the baguette. You want me to die in France? Like, am I going to eat this baguette? Death by baguette? Death by baguette. I didn't, and I ate it. And then I ate another baguette. And then I ate a muffin later. And I think I had a crepe. And I just ate all day as if I wasn't sick. That was my motto. I was like, live like you're not sick. And I just kept eating and eating and eating (laughs) and eating what was your husband what was your boyfriend saying at the time rock on basically (laughs) um and i mean he yeah because i think he saw something happen he's like okay let's run this out like the reverse isn't working so let's see and i was fine (laughs) and i'm still fine i had to do blood tests i came back my blood was better what did you think happened was it almost like a detox then for you by uh, not eating stuff that i think there's probably a reality of duality thing here one, I believe in God, so I think God did it. Mm-hmm. And two, if you don't believe in God, you could believe that my belief in God did it because the mind's a very powerful thing. Hmm. And that's possible as well, that it was a mind over. And and I realized that a lot of what was happening for me was actually the result of like intense, my body was stuck in fight or flight mode basically. And that was based on childhood traumas. And my body was physically ill, but it was tied to, and you could see that, like I said, in tests and in hospital visits and but it was tied to something that was happening in my mind and my body and my spirit. And it broke in this baguette. It broke. <laughs> and it, cool. it seriously, and it wasn't like all of a sudden f- pure freedom. There were days I went forward and back and forward and back. But today I eat pizza and pasta and I still eat pretty healthy, but I don't have to I eat cake if I want to. And I do want to frequently. <laughs> do you have in the back of your mind like, oh my gosh, the other shoe is going to drop one day. I used to have that, but I don't anymore. I think I've lived free long enough. Cool. But I think I also have read this book called The Biology of Belief and about how what we believe can actually change what goes on in our minds, which can change what goes on in our bodies to a certain extent. I don't know that you could positive think away cancer, for example. I don't know. But I do know what happened in my life. And I don't know if I'd prescribe it to somebody else and say, Hmm. oh, you're having stomach issues. Why don't you go to France and eat a baguette and then pretend you don't? Like, I don't know if that's what I would prescribe. But that's what worked for you. It was a miracle story in my life. And the reason that it was a pivot point in my life is because it changed the way that I look at faith Hmm. and, and yeah, faith and the power of believing in something that moment taught me that and since then i just kept leaping leaps of faith leap of faith leap of faith because it worked and so that and that's why i'm here in texas right because i took a leap of faith somewhere that's my whole life motto because those are the things that scare me the most that's not my natural yeah. mo mm-hmm. but ever since the baguette i just think what do i have to lose at this point it's working it works the hero baguette that's awesome it it was awesome. I have a love relationship with baguettes. Uh-huh. Okay. So someone else who 
isn't shy about their faith and has no problem expressing themselves is someone you really admire. And under the question, who would you go back in history? You know, you didn't go back to someone who's no longer with us. You went with Jordan Peterson. And that's another name. It's amazing how many similarities your answers have with people that have been on this podcast before. But Jordan Peterson, man, um, talk about uh, somebody who walks the walk and talks the talk. I love Jordan Peterson. Yeah, your question that you sent was, who would you meet in history? And I said, I don't think I'd be (laughs) known in history, but I'd kill to be at an intellectual dinner party with Jordan Peterson. And I really would. I I think I met, met, (laughs) met. That's how I feel about him. We've never met. He has no idea who I am. But I found him through his book, first book, 12 Rules for Life. Uh And it was so captivating. And then my husband listened to the biblical series. Mm. And that totally changed for my husband, the way that he looked at faith, stories, the Bible, morality, responsibility. It it was miraculous what was happening. And I watched that happen to him. And I thought, who is this guy? I got to go read this guy. And I would just love to be able to sit down. I like thinkers. I like people who look at ideas from multiple angles and who are willing to explore ideas wholeheartedly. Those are the people that I respect. I don't have to agree with them, but when people feel like honest brokers of communication, we vibe. That's what I care about. And I feel like he he cares about things. That's why he thinks about them, which is why I respect him. Which makes him unpopular with some circles because he cares. Well, I feel the same way in a lot of ways about Joe Rogan. Joe <laughs> Rogan cares and thinks. And he's on a different intellectual plane than Jordan Peterson, so it's funny to compare those two. But I I respect people that think and that contemplate and that want, that could take an answer at face value, which I think is really easy and human to do, that we, we buy our ideas in packages based on who we are and who we're friends with. And I respect when people, even if their ideas still all line up, it's because they reached it based on their own thoughts and their own exploration and their own discoveries, which is something I learned from Jordan Peterson listening to him because he doesn't, he doesn't take anything from anybody else without really knowing it yeah. and studying yeah, it. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, yeah. Okay, you got to tell us about, uh, I, I don't know who the guy that plays Vivek on Gronish. And you, you and I put in all my weirdest stories for you. That's good. That's good. I'm thinking about what tapestry this is painting for people meeting me for the first time, like the baguette girl. And then it's kind of in Ukraine for a little while. And like a little bit of an actress. Like, I mean, who is this girl? Stands up on the plane, makes everybody nervous. (laughs) But then you've got this, this experience where the guy who plays Vivek on Gronish and you yourself aren't allowed on the campus of Farley Dickinson University anymore. What's why? I almost deleted this before I sent it to you. Oh, I sent do we it back and deleted. Oh no, no. It's it's a, it's a funny <laughs> it's another life forming story. Okay. In some ways. So yeah. Do I know any celebrities was the question I was yeah, like. Yeah, oh, so I was like, have you crossed paths with any celebrities or famous people? And I said, Yeah, well this guy from Gronish. So there's the T V show Gronish, it's a spin off of Blackish. Yeah. And yeah, okay. one of the leads in it is this actor who I worked at a Shakespeare theater with in college before he was famous on the show. And we were friends. I think I kind of had a crush on him, but not really. Like it was theater apprenticeship. Like you kind of had a crush. I didn't really though. Like it wasn't like, I wasn't like asking him on dates or anything like that. Like he was a nice looking guy. You would, if you've seen Gronish, you know, this is true. And he was nice. But we were really busy. We worked as theater apprentices all day. So it wasn't like you were going to strike up some 
deep mm-hmm. loving relationship. You weren't even going to really go on dates, right? right? Anyway, so he and I had a mutual friend who was one of my best friends who had worked with him at another theater. The theater world is very small. And we were going to go hang out and like meet because our friend had set us up to go talk and like hang out because we were working at the same theater but in different shows right so we we kind of we lived in the same building and saw each other so we're like okay let's go and it's not a date there's nothing about it that was a date i have to say that because i said that i thought he was cute but there was no date (laughs) it's important for the story that you know this okay and we go to the campus where we're at uh, the theater which is on drew university campus in new jersey we go to Farley Dickinson, which is this beautiful campus next door. And we were walking around and I'm not a very impulsive person, like a person that would take like social risks. I'm not really that kind of human being, but we meet these students and it's still the middle of the day, mind you. And the students say it's a tradition at Farley to swim in the fountain is a big word because there's no swimming, but like stand in the fountain basically. And they were like, yeah, that's what everybody does when they come here. They like step into this fountain. It's like what you do here. Again, at University of Central Florida, where my parents went, that's what they do every year when Mm. they graduate. They go in this fountain. So I was like, oh, okay, that's a thing. So everyone's like, okay, well, we're going to go. And there's no substances involved in this, no crush, nothing. This is the middle of the day. And they were like, we're going to go into this fountain. Like, and I was like, okay, sure. I'll step in this fountain. Why not? So we do. And then nothing happens. And how many people are in the fountain at this point? Four. Okay. It's not like a big party. No one's loud. No one's like ruckus or anything like that. doesn't seem like it's a problem. Then we're these later in the day, we're sitting somewhere on the campus with the students and somebody's telling a ghost story or something like that. And we hear this noise and it startles all of us. Right. So we get up. Turns out that it was a police officer who assumes that we got up because we were going to run because we were guilty for having done something. We get accused of i can't understand there was nothing involved in the social related drugs because we got in this fountain they said we get accused of having been on drugs or drinking or something bad on this campus there's no disrespect to the police officer we're like we're gonna leave blah 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 we get called in the next day to our theater director's office and we get slammed like you have not seen in your life i'm in college at this point it was just a stupid mistake i was i made a mistake should i have gotten in that fountain no that was dumb but i didn't think about it and i wasn't that harmful but it was stupid anyways we called into the theater director's office and she runs us across the coals well me across the coals because she says that i seduced him into doing this which is (laughs) which is completely untrue and and everyone knew it was untrue and at that point, she's like, he's like an innocent angel. And he was a really nice guy. He didn't do anything like wrong either. Like he's like an innocent angel. And like, you are like the worst ever. I can't believe you've done this because he's been there for years and I was new mm. to the theater. And I remember thinking like, I've messed this up. Like this was a big opportunity for me at this theater. And I was like, oh no. So I called my parents and I called one of my professors from college who'd helped me get this job. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like they're like, I can stay, but basically like you're on the thinnest ice that's ever existed. And I felt horrible, just terrible. From stepping into a fountain? I know, it's super dramatic. But in this theater's defense, now that I've been able to step away from this for a while, in this theater's defense, theaters are always on the edge of survival. And anything could put them over the edge, bad press, whatever. So having the campus next door to them, angry at them, freaked them out, I think. And there's a lot of anxiety in theater. And it freaked them out. And they were worried that I was going to be a threat to their success in some way, even though I wasn't. (laughs) I really, really wasn't. But what I 
So then we got a mutual restraining order from Farley Dickinson University. That's oh. how me and that guy from Gronish have the same restraining order. Oh, and it, we accepted it and it was kind of funny and horrible. But I that summer, now it's really funny, but that summer I was when I learned how to stay when I wanted to go because I w- knew I was on thin ice. People were ticked at me, right? Like what the leadership was at least. This, the other people, the actors don't care. You know, they do. A- What's ironic is that actors are the most debaucherous group of human beings <laughs> in the whole world. And they knew what I had done was the least of what has been right, done ever. Right, right, And But I have a high moral compass and I, I try to keep that and I felt bad. I knew I had done something wrong. Mm. I had broken a rule. Well, I didn't even know it was a rule at the time, but now I know that you can't get in that fountain. But I... I knew that I had I had potentially put them in a risky situation and I wanted to try to rectify it. So at first I was like, I got to leave. Like, I got to get out of here. This is horrible. I've like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, did they kick you out? I'm like, no. And my professor said, well, then you got to stay. Like, prove mm. them wrong. Like, prove them that you are not this person. That they're, they really so did weird, me dirty, man. like, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, they said I was a lot of things I wasn't. But I ended up staying and I learned how to work my butt off that summer. I was like, I'm going to be the best good for you like employee apprentice you have ever seen and i i I, by the end of the summer i had that director come up to me and she was a really hard woman and tough as nails and i saw that she had a hard life later and i didn't know that and this all contextualizes who people are and why they do things and why she was so angry with me but she came up to me and was like at the very end and she just looked at me and she's really harsh and she said i'm glad that you stayed Mm. and i was like Whoa. And they actually invited me back. <laughs> oh, wow. But you've <laughs> got... the theater. Sorry, I can't. I've got this... Uh, I got to go work one. for going back. No, no this was many yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah. But oh. yeah, that's my... That story. And it's a funny story now because we joked that we have like these mutual restraining orders and we both of us are the most milquetoast humans. Like we would not do that. <laughs> neither of us... Like I don't... I don't drink. Like I don't do drugs. I am not like a a party person. Like if anyone asked you in college, they would say I was the girl who brought ice cream to parties. Like that was the kind of girl I was. Mm. I mean, not like I'm perfect. I mean, I got in that fountain. That was a bad choice. I don't, but I don't I, see how that's a big deal. It's like, not a big deal. I'm thinking deal, of but, a fountain on the campus of the university of Nebraska. And I'm thinking if someone stepped in that fountain, it would be like, oh, okay. I think it's a private university and cause we uh-huh. want students there. And <laughs> I try to make, un- I try to understand everyone in that situation in retrospect. Cause at the time I was just mad. Okay. That right. it happened. Wait, wait, when you get a restraining order, is it like printed up nicely? I don't know. I guess this is a restraining order. It was just something from the but is campus there, is, police. Is there something that they printed pr- it? Oh, you should frame that. I did. Nice. <laughs> and I think that this guy put did it on too. your desk over here. I well, luckily, I have no reason to go to Farley Dickinson University right. ever again. I want to see this thing though. That sounds cool. <laughs> it, well, that everybody thought it was so funny, and it was like this street cred I didn't want in college. And actually, like, wow, Michaela, like. You got a straining order from Farley Dickinson, and I was still embarrassed about it at the time, but now it's kind of funny, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you say that um, part of what, you know, when it comes to regrets, you used to be really worried about speaking your mind in college. Mm-hmm. You list people-pleasing as your vice. 100%. I can understand that. For, you know what we need to talk about? This people-pleasing thing that you've done in this building, where you have... see. They built this new snack area upstairs right next to my office. I don't know if this is an example of people, please. And Case and myself were the only two individuals in this entire building that knew where this stash of awesome snacks were. This is the this is the second tier snacks down here 
on the yeah, main level. Yeah, this is the Cheez-Its and that's the right. Starbucks okay. snacks upstairs. And Case and I had this uh, agreement that we're not going to be, you know, telling the rest of the world about what, what what's available up here uh, upstairs. And then, I didn't know that. Right. Well, then, then we sit down to start doing this uh, interview and we're talking right before I hit record. You mentioned the upstairs snack area. I was like, oh, I didn't know everybody knew about that. And then you say, well, yeah, they do because of me. I told them about the good snacks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this goes back to being a, a people-pleasing person. I, well, I wanted everyone to have good I mean, I was so excited. I think it was just true <laughs> ecstasy because I went upstairs and there was, instead of just Cheez-Its, there was pistachios and yeah. fancy bougie water. Yeah. And I, I came downstairs. I said, guys, have you been upstairs? And oh. people have been working here for years. They're like, what's upstairs? And I was like, no. are you kidding me? No. There's oats upstairs. You don't There's understand. granola bars that, upstairs. There's- that is my... <laughs> Refuge. I didn't know. Because my office is right next to this <laughs> snack area. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. You, you gotta understand. It's too late, though. You gotta understand. A year ago, a year ago, there was literally nothing up there but my office. Because I'm kind of like the Milton. Okay. Milton. Oh, office space. I'm sorry. I don't know. Millennials. <laughs> so you need to watch office space. Okay. And I've. So I've worked for this company for 13 years. I've worked in this building for Glenn Beck for uh, 10 years now. And I think what happens is people in a certain area of the building where my either office or cubicle, depending on where we are in the timeline, um, get so irritated with me, they just figure out a new place to put me because I've been all over this building. But they finally put me in this place that was out of the way upstairs so that, I mean, I didn't have anybody to interact with up there. I was literally Milton. Yes, those of you listening know the reference there, hopefully. If not, go watch Office Space. So, anyhow, they put me upstairs, and and slowly over time, they built Elijah's studio. They built, um, like, an executive suite for visiting, you know, important types. Then Tim, uh, you know, redesigns the entire area up there that used to just be this ignored corner of the building, and now it's this posh, beautiful hangout space that it I'm is, sure you see. It's posh right? and beautiful. And, and now I'm like, you know what I am? Here's what I am, Michaela. I am the old lady living in the shack building, and they have <laughs> built all this beautiful stuff all around these nice new areas, and then I've got this... Keep the door closed, Keith. Nobody needs to see what's in there, you know. So anyhow, but we're so trying to gentrify your neighborhood. That's why I'm bringing exactly, all these new people in. Exactly the word I was thinking. So now you're uh, outing the uh, cool snacks up there. Now people are gonna. Now people are gonna come up there and they're gonna know. I just man. Yeah, and now you listening know where they are too. Now I've told the world. Everybody knows where Everybody the good snacks knows. are. I mean, they're they're significantly better. I don't know if that's a people pleasing thing. I mm-hmm. because I I think it's. Courtesy to a certain extent is great, but I know that I have had in the past where I've sacrificed, not just, I don't mind sacrificing how I feel about things, but if I ever sacrifice my morality or what I really think about things, then that would be a problem in the world of people pleasing. Like for example, in college, somebody looked at me and said, well, like Israel shouldn't even exist. And I have a lot of information about that that runs contrary to that opinion. And I said nothing. I just let people, and and then he assumed that I agreed with him. Mm. So all these people in my world assumed that I thought the way they thought because I gave them no other reason. I gave them no reason to think otherwise. Yeah. And I, I regret that 
I don't regret being nice. I don't regret letting somebody sure. pick where to go to dinner. Unless I really, 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 really wanted to go somewhere <laughs> to dinner, then maybe I regret it. Unless there was a baguette there. I'm not that big of a baguette girl anymore. Really, I would. It's I mostly it. Thai food. Like uh, okay. I, almost, I need Thai food to survive. But, but now you wouldn't let a comment like that go. No, I wouldn't. I I really wouldn't. Yeah. And I don't know if I would say you're stupid. What a stupid idea. But I would say I disagree with you. I think it's this. And that is a huge step for me. And that's what I would do now. Mm -hmm. But I had to to do that. It's interesting because I'm an actor and a public type person. I had to do that super publicly first. That's why I made the podcast, was on a radio show. Okay. I had to come out with all of these things super publicly to give me the courage to do it in my private life, which mm. I've done now. And now I feel that I'm living one life, just me. Oh, that's cool. Just, what I, just <laughs> who I am, kind of take it or leave it. And maybe it's because I'm getting into my closer to my 30s and my 20s that I'm already embracing this little bit of, well, this is me, take it or leave it in mm -hmm. some ways, which is foreign to me coming out of college, this idea. But people used to say things like that, and I thought, what a myth. <laughs> Nobody feels that way. But I think people really do feel that way, that they're who they are unapologetically and that everyone else can work around that. And to a certain extent, I mean, unless you're a jerk, then you should mm -hmm. change if you're a jerk. But but most people were just different and we live differently and think differently. And I'm starting to realize that I can also be one of those people. Mm. Wait till you're closer to 50 than 40. What happens then? Well, you talk about being set in your ways. <laughs> There's no changing. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> I'm definitely not set in my ways because I'm in the middle of ongoing metamorphosis, mm -hmm. as you've heard. I don't think I've given myself time to stop and cement much. And I actually think there's value in that 100% in, in deepening. I think in set in your ways is another way to say that you've deepened your understanding of why you're that way, mm. ideally. Or you just stuck your feet there that's not ideal but i know like for you you've had time to refine your ideas and deepen them and and know why you think what you think and thus you can't just be blown with the wind and there's a lot of value in that too and yeah. i'm going to pursue that as well and there are certain ideas i'm like or that. i'm or i'm just stubborn a stubborn curmudgeon could be that too a curmudgeon yeah so um what's in your amazon cart right now wisps do you know what wisps are i probably uh, if you disposable describe. toothbrushes so they're the little mini ones yeah, with only the, one use. And they yeah, have the toothpaste in the middle. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they're super <laughs> cool. And you put those on your wedding registry and people thought you were no, kidding? No, I put a <laughs> water pick on my wedding wedding registry. Oh, oh, so oh, oh. the wisps are just in the same family because I'm a dental <laughs> hygiene person. Big, <laughs> brush my teeth multiple times a day. I'm obsessed with dental hygiene. I want a water pick really desperately. And no one on my wedding registry would, if anyone from my wedding registry is listening, I was very <laughs> serious about the water pick. And everybody thought I was kidding. They said, I put on our, wed our wedding registry, we had headphones, a water pick, an electric toothbrush. Practical couple. These are things we really, really want. Right. We got none of them. What? Zero. Okay, so everybody, everybody got us cups. If you're listening right now, <laughs> but I and, like I like the cups. And but. you know Michaela and Dalton. Yes. Uh, they could use for Christmas. They could use a water pick. They could use uh, headphones. Yeah, the Raycons. Raycon earbuds. Yeah. What was the other thing you mentioned? Electric toothbrush. Electric toothbrush. So let's make it happen, y'all. I'm dead serious about those. Two but look, people. I mean, I'm with you. What, what, oh, nice. What's in my drawer right here? Uh, dental picks. The dental picks. Oh, so I have wisps oh, and wait, then I wait. have Oh, wait, What's a... over here? What's over here, Michaela? What's this? Toothpaste. <laughs> oh, what's on this? A toothbrush and toothpaste. Yeah. Okay, I respect that. Okay. Yeah. I, I used to be even more serious about it, which is the travel toothbrushes were from my cart when we went camping in Texas, actually. And I was like, I can't live without brushing my teeth for multiple days. I will seriously perish. Oh, yeah. Oh. But now I carry them around. They're super helpful. Yeah. 
No, that's... So I'm the baguette girl. I'm the travel toothpaste girl. (laughs) I'm the girl. It's so fascinating getting to do this with you. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming here. I mean... I'd like to sit down one time and ask you what are your most embarrassing moments or the times you were most scared or uh, the moment that changed your life. People have tried to, to do this to me. No, you don't. I don't. You don't do it now. Yeah. This is your show. You're in charge. I was just thinking. I mean, some of these questions aren't easy to answer. You know, like when it's I say very vulnerable, the, I think. Right? What You're asking jerk. very vulnerable You know, questions. some people some people get this email and they're like, are you trying to hack into my bank account with these questions? <laughs> no, I promise. Uh, okay. So on social media, people can find you on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. And your handles there are, it's by Michaela G. So it's B-Y- M-I-K-A-Y-L-A-G. Bye, Michaela G. All right. Michaela Hedrick, writer for Glenn Beck. Thanks so much for coming on At The Mic. I appreciate it. Thanks, Keith. It was so great getting to know Michaela and her story today. And just remember, when you hear something particularly positive coming from the mouth of Glenn Beck, it may very well have gone through Michaela's hands first. I'm so grateful that you spent time hearing her story here today on At The Mic. And if you get a chance to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, I would be personally grateful for that. All platforms available uh, can be found when you head to atthemicshow.com. And if you're able to rate the show five stars over on Apple iTunes or Spotify, I would also appreciate that as well. Helps more people find this podcast We try to bring you some good conversations in this crazy world, and uh, we appreciate you helping us uh, get the word out. So tell your family and friends, too. We're also on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. Be sure to click the bell for new content notifications. You'll get alerted not only when we have a new show post, but uh, just some bonus content as well. YouTube.com slash at the mic with Keith. Now, on the next edition of At The Mic, I'm going to sit down with popular podcaster, talk show host, bourbon aficionado, Tim Young. He and I sat down uh, while being surrounded by uh, tasty treats there uh, at his recording studio. Our conversation will be next week here on At The Mic. And I know I say it every time, but I absolutely mean it. Until next time, please go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.